0: Man, Thanks for coming today, by the way. Thanks for coming. So, Father, we just thank you today for your word. And, uh, Lord, as we say repeatedly all the time, God, we're people who believe your word from Genesis to Revelation. And, Lord, we just ask today that the Holy Spirit, who's the teacher, would come and teach. We choose today, God, just to open our hearts up to you, God, and receive, uh, once again, not what a man has, but what you have for us today. Lord, we thank you that you've already prepared the table with the finest things today. Literally, just uh, just food from heaven, and Lord, we just pray today, God, that we would pull up a seat, grab our fork and knife, and just be ready to eat all that you have. And so, Lord, we open our mouths wide, and Lord, even as the psalmist said, Lord, we ask that you would fill it. In Jesus' name, thank you for your anointing. Thank you for speaking today. Amen. 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 Well, listen. Last week we started a new series, and a series entitled simply this: In the Spirit. In the Spirit. And uh, before we dive into part two today, I feel like there's a few things that I need to repeat from last week for two reasons. The first reason is so things can be reinforced. And then secondly, so we're all on the same page. So the first thing I want to say is this, is that the goal of this series is pretty straightforward. I want to give you three things, and they'll throw it up on the board. The first one is this. I want to give you information. I want to give you scriptural proof that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is indeed for today. And it's something that God wants every believer to experience. Amen? Now, listen, because, because we all come from so many different backgrounds and we've all heard a lot of different thoughts concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to intentionally slow it down. I want to move at a, at a much slower pace than what I normally preach and even the amount of information. And I, I just feel like this prompting not to rush so we're going to we're going to be really slow simply so we can lay a biblical foundation down so you know to kind of give you maybe a little bit where, where I'm coming from personally I'm so used to being in church cultures for the last almost 20 years, where the gifts of the Spirit are very predominant. They're very much in the midst, and so you know a lot of times when we would go talk about it, you could throw out you know generalities, or you could throw out bits and pieces, and everybody was already kind of tracking with you. But since we don't have the the benefit of that, because once again we all come from different backgrounds, and I come from some of those backgrounds, so I'm not knocking that. But what happens is is we're not we're not all using the same language. Right, so one thing may mean something different to somebody else. We want to make sure that we're just tracking together and we're moving at the same pace and, and uh, saying the same thing. Fair enough. So, listen. I also think it's really important that these biblical truths that they would be presented and they would be received in a spirit of unity. Amen. Listen, I personally uh, don't believe that that God has led me to speak on this subject. And listen, if you've had any conversation with me along these lines for the past uh, year and a half you would definitely know that it's god prompting me to do this and so i don't believe that he's prompting me to teach on the baptism of the holy spirit to divide our church okay listen god is a god of unity god never comes and divides and so it's really important that we all recognize that and it's really important that we recognize that there's that, that this is not a debate Okay? That all we're doing is simply having an honest, open discussion of what the Bible says concerning these things. Amen? So, the first one is information. The second one is inspiration. And this is where I want to share with you uh, testimonies to encourage you in the fact that people just like you, people just like me, have not only experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but they also enjoy the, the benefits of being baptized in the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. The third thing is a demonstration. And I, I think I said this last week, but, but so long in the church world, we have, we have given information, we've given testimonies, but we've never given an opportunity for a demonstration. And Jesus clearly said that when the word is sent, in fact, we prayed it a while ago, it's Mark, Mark 16, that there would be a demonstration that would come. And we've got to make room for a demonstration to be there. So It's a demonstration. It's just simply this, that you uh, would have an opportunity to receive this wonderful gift. That's it. And, uh, you, you know, so with that said, listen, God doesn't pressure anyone into this, and neither will we. Okay, so we're not we're not going to force anybody. We're not going to manipulate anybody, but we are going to teach the word and we are going to open up, you know, room for opportunities for people to receive the baptism. You know, to kind of even give you a thought, it's kind of funny, as I've been studying, I I ran across this scripture where Jesus talked about how that all men ought to be is actually what it means in the Greek ought to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's with this connotation that he that that Jesus himself recognized that all people wouldn't want to be. Very interesting. You know, it's hard for me to understand personally that that someone would not want what heaven has provided. But there's people out there that that have that thought. But so anyways, I just want to encourage you with this, that over, you know, today, over the next few weeks, just simply come to God with a prayer. God, if this is you, then show me. What's the harm in that? Right? What's the harm in saying, God, if this is you, please show me, once again, if we really trust that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, we have to trust him, right? And so, and if you find that it is the truth, then I would uh, encourage you to follow that first prayer up with a second prayer and say, God, I want it. Amen? So let me also repeat this, okay, because I want there to be absolutely no confusion and uh, no miscommunication concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I said last week. That, that the baptism in the Holy Spirit has nothing, 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 nothing to do with your salvation. Okay? Meaning that, you know, church, there's churches that preach that if you do not speak in tongues that you do not go to heaven. That is not accurate. The Bible clearly says that in John 3, 3, basically how can a man, it talks about being born again, right? No man enters the kingdom unless he is born again. Well, how are we born again? We're born again by believing in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart. Okay? So it doesn't add that. That's people along the way that get in legalism tradition and try to add things that Jesus never spoke. Okay? So the next thing is this, is that being baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you more special or more loved by God. Please hear that, okay? Nor does it make you a higher-ranking or first-class Christian. And the reason I say that is because uh, there's been people along the way that don't have what other people have, and they feel in their heart that they're somehow second-class. There is no second-class Christians. Are you all with me today? Yes. God loves us all unconditionally. Thank God for that, okay? We, out of our own insecurities and pride, try to make ourselves better, but God doesn't see us that way. And the last thing is this, is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit will not fix all your problems. Okay? But it will change how you approach your problems and how you handle them. Okay? All right. Lastly, I I kind of talked about this. If you weren't here last week... I would encourage you just to go listen to the podcast. I'm going to give you a snippet of what we talked about last week. Once again, just in case people aren't there, they're not lost today. So simply this. We talked about last week that God is the God of patterns. And uh, one of those patterns that he set in place is a pattern of baptisms. And the word baptism simply means immersion, okay? Once again, that, that's full submersion, okay? Uh, it means completely under, overwhelmed. Anyway, so the Bible teaches that there's three baptisms. We're going to pop them up on the screen so you can see them. The first baptism is this. It's that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus, okay? The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it's verse 31, no, 13, sorry. So that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. So the moment that you are saved or salvation comes in your heart, you are immersed into the body of Christ. The second baptism is this. It is that another believer, a disciple, baptizes us into water. Okay. Water baptism. And that is Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And the third baptism is this, is that Jesus himself baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. There are scriptures that back that up in all four gospels. One verse I'll give you right now is John one thirty-three. So once again, we see that the Holy Spirit baptizes us. There we go. Into Jesus, a disciple baptizes us in water. And thirdly, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. I said this last week because a lot of people get confused with the first one and the third one, and they think they're the same thing, but they can't be the same thing because there's two different people doing the baptizing. Are you all with me? If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. 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 So there's definitely two different experiences. Okay, let me maybe throw this out there really quick, okay? Where a lot of people struggle when, when they start hearing sermons along these lines is they hear this even though it's not implied and even though the pastor is not saying it, they automatically think this. They automatically think, well, that guy is telling me that I don't have the Holy Spirit since I have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not true. Okay, now watch this, all right? Jesus made a profound statement. He said this. He said, he said that the Holy Spirit basically will be with you. And he will be, in future reference, talking to disciples, in you. So he will be with you, and then he will be in you. Now, the difference is this, is the word with there actually means to come alongside. So the truth is is that the Holy Spirit, nobody in this room would be saved without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of sin, but the Holy Spirit is also the one that reveals Jesus to us. Yes, yes. Right, and so what happens is, is obviously once we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us, and He comforts us, He teaches us, He guides us. Now the difference is, is between being once again being alongside and being in. If I can use maybe a silly analogy, it's, it, it would be like this: it would be like me, uh, you know, dousing Ben there with a with a bucket of water. That's alongside. The being in there is being immersed in him almost jumping in a swimming pool and sitting on the bottom. Are y'all following me? And what happens is, is, when, is when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they receive what the Bible says in Acts 1.8. They receive power. There's also an intimacy that comes that, that wasn't there before. There's also a discernment that comes of just the awareness of God, the awareness of his presence that wasn't known before. And then there also comes because Jesus said that he would baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. There becomes a greater level of purity. So, once again, so don't hear today, you know, because so many people get upset, they get depressed, they get defensive, and, you know, they want to argue and fight. There's no argument in fighting. The Bible says this plain and simple. Yes? Hallelujah. All right, so listen. So we saw this pattern, salvation, water baptism, and spirit baptism. We saw it in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. We also saw it in Acts chapter 8. And then we saw it in the Old Testament. Remember the Old Testament, which is a type or basically a sign of what's coming in the New Testament. Remember, we had the tabernacle. You walk through the tabernacle, which is a representation of Jesus. The first thing you came to was the altar, which was the blood, which is salvation. The next thing you come to there in the tabernacle before you get the Holy of Holies is uh, uh, was a uh, basically the water where you would wash yourself which represents the water baptism the next thing was the flask that was the labor the next thing was the flask was where you were anointed and that's the baptism of the holy spirit so you see the three even in the tabernacle if you're willing to say okay all right now for today all right here we go let's have some fun all right i want to start off today by actually giving you a testimony that shows all three once again salvation baptism water baptism in the holy spirit but we're going to take that testimony that we're about to share and we're going to move into where we're going today okay so the testimony i want to give you is actually a guy that you've heard me mention before his name is dr lynn Alrich, and uh dr lynn is not a five-fold ministry he's not a preacher dr lynn is actually let me get it right here he is actually a clinical neuropsychologist meaning he's much smarter than me all right here we go so Dr. Lynn, you guys know Pastor Tommy. He's just an elder in the church. He wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. In my opinion, I have many books on the Holy Spirit. By far, it's the best one that I have. And maybe we can get you access to that. Uh, In fact, I text Dr. Lynn two days ago. I'm trying to get him and Pastor Tommy both to come here to do several days of meetings with us. So pretty pumped about the opportunity that's there. So Dr. Lynn... In my opinion, is one of the godliest men I've ever met. But let's rewind in a story. Here's testimony and see how he came to Jesus. Okay? So. Basically this, after Dr. Lynn got out of uh, high school, he ended up, because he didn't know what he was going to do, he went to the Marines. After he got out of the Marines, he ended up picking a college, and the reason he picked this college is because he read in a Playboy magazine that that was the number one party school in America. And he said, you know what, that's where I got to go because I'm all about partying. So he picked this school, that's where he went, and uh, good old Doc, God bless him. Anyway, so he went there, and after a couple of philosophy classes, he decided to basically become a confirmed atheist, So after he got his bachelor's, he went and got his master's, then he got his Ph.D., and he decided, okay, look, where the real money's at is in the private practice. And so he went and he started private practice. The thing blew up. He was very successful. And in the middle of all that, he was empty, and he began to ask himself, is this what I worked so hard for? And in the middle of all that, where he was going, man, is, is this it? He was arguing with his wife, fussing with his kids. He was just irritated and stressed out all the time. He got a call from one of his old buddies, and I think I actually know this guy as well. And he said, hey, Lynn, I'm getting a a couple of the old buddies together from high school to do a weekly Bible study, and I wanted to invite you to the Confirm Atheist, right? Dr. Lynn said this, and he said, after becoming an atheist in college, he said, I often mocked religion. He said, I developed a... A comedy routine I would often use at parties anytime the topic of religion would come up. He said, I would do an impression of an old-style ten evangelist, where I would lead everyone the old hymn, Shall We Gather at the River, with his own mocking lyrics in the middle of it. Anyways, so he said he would lay hands on someone's head, and he would pray for healing, but he would do it in a comical way where he would simulate causing the person more pain than healing. And then he would say this really blasphemous thing. It's awful. He'd say, then I would pass the plate for the offering, and I would shout, throw your money to the wall. If it sticks to the wall, it's the Lord's. If it falls, it's mine. So he said, so I wasn't really interested in attending a Bible study, but I didn't want to hurt my friend's feelings. So I asked him, he said, are we going to sit around and just discuss the meaning of life? Because I already did that in college. And then the answer was this, oh, no, we have a Bible teacher. And, and he asked, who is it? And the guy said, well, it's Rex. Well, Dr. Lynn was absolutely shocked as mine went back to his old buddy Rex that he was in high school with. Obviously, before uh, Rex was saved, that was his drinking buddy. And he, and he goes in and he starts telling this story about during Mardi Gras. I don't know if you've ever been to Mardi Gras. Don't go. Uh, I've, been, I've been to several. But he said that they were on a double date, and his buddy Rex got really irritated with his date because she kept talking about her ex-boyfriend the whole time. Don't do that on the date if you're single. All right. So anyways, you'll stay single. So anyways, but so he said he got irritated and he said, he said, come on, Lynn, we're taking these girls home. And so they take them home and they drop them out and he gets back in the car because he's so angry. They're in his, he's in his dad's car. He decides just to floor it. And he floors the accelerator and it was really dark and foggy and two blocks down the road, they hit a parked car going 50 miles an hour. Dr. Lynn went, uh, went through the window. And he said, Rex, being the good buddy he is, reached over and grabbed him and pulled him back through the window. And he don't do that, by the way. And so he was pulling back through the window, and he said they got out and they went and they stood in someone's front yard without a scratch on them. And then they looked at each other and said, where's our booze? So, and he also said this. He said, this guy, Rex, he said, man, he was the kind of guy that just liked to fight for fun. And he said actually one night he remembered him just going behind somebody and just ripping a shirt off a guy because he didn't like the shirt. So he said to his surprise, that was the guy that was going to teach the Bible study, right? So anyway, so he went the next Tuesday evening because obviously that stirred his interest and his curiosity. He said on the first night he realized two things. He realized that the old Rex was gone and that he knew what he was talking about. But he said this, he said, all the next Tuesday nights following, he said he would be at work really late, and he'd say, I'm tired, there's no way I'm going there tonight. He'd go get in the car, and he'd say, for somehow, some reason, the car always found its way to the Bible study. Now watch this, please listen to this. He said, I continue to attend, and an interesting thing began to happen. The evidence for the existence of God began to pile up. He said, my academic training have been steeped in the scientific method which states essentially that one must have evidence that supports what one believes. If the evidence contradicts what you believe, then it is incumbent upon you to alter what you believe so that it is consistent with the evidence. That's good. He said, after several weeks, I had to admit that my atheistic beliefs might be wrong. He said, I had always accepted the theory of evolution at face value without questioning it because I had always been taught it as fact. And he says, I actually began to review and study evolution again. It became obvious that it was only a theory, in fact, not a very good one at that. I realized I had believed in evolution because it was convenient and easy. If I believed in evolution, then I didn't have to believe in God. And if I didn't believe in God, then I didn't have to be accountable to him. He said, I finally acknowledged that God was real, but I hadn't settled the Jesus issue yet. Do I really need to accept Jesus and his death on the cross to be saved? Watch this. Fast forward. This is awesome. Fast forward in the story. He's sitting there one night, kids are in bed, wife's in bed, and he's flipping through the channels, and he runs across old Uncle Billy Graham. Runs across the Billy Graham crusade, and, and he said he can't even remember what the guy preached, but that number rolled across the bottom of the screen. He dialed it up, and the person answered the phone. Sweet lady said, uh, can I help you? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, what an intelligent answer, right? <laughs> anyway, so he said, I don't know. And after a few minutes, she recognized this problem and said, sir, are you born again? And he said, at that point, basically up to that point, the word born again, the two words born again, had basically irritated him. But at that moment, it's like the light came on, and it's like he heard it for the first time, and he thought, man, wouldn't it be really good to start over in life? And he answered the woman, no, ma'am, I'm not. And the woman, I guess, obviously described what it meant, led him in the prayer of salvation. And this she said this. She said, this is awesome. She said, how do you feel? He said he practically shouted, great. She was somewhat taken aback and said, well, it may take a few weeks, but you'll begin to notice the difference. I said, no, you don't understand. I feel different right now. Like a load has been lifted off me. Isn't it awesome how that is like a common theme when people get born again, that that load is lifted off them? And then she said, oh, well, well praise God. <laughs> and so he hung with the ball, and he said for the first time in his life, he got down on his knees and prayed. And he said he went to bed that night and slept more peacefully than he had in years. Somebody say salvation. salvation. Watch this. He said he to go to – this is – Really, this is where I wanted to tell you, okay? So I said all that to kind of get you here, but I need, need to describe to you what kind of man he was. We said this. He continued to go to the Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night Bible studies, and a couple of months later, Rex taught on the importance and the meaning of water baptism. And he said he didn't consider it something that he needed. And one night he was getting late. Class was almost over, and he had an epiphany, and he suddenly realized that it wasn't an option. Jesus said it. He had to do it. And so he asked Rex, he said, who can baptize me? The answer was, any born-again believer can water baptize. He said, can you do it? He, uh, Rex replied, oh, sure, I've done it many times. He said, great, let's do it right now, because the house they were in had a swimming pool. And, he, and Rex said, it's a little cool out uh, tonight, Lynn. We can arrange to do it some other time. No problem, I said, the pool is heated. Then he said, well, we don't have any swimsuits. That's what Rex countered. He said, no problem, we'll just strip down to our underwear. It says, now Rex wasn't too keen on the idea, so he said, well, it's getting late, and I promised my wife I would be home early tonight. At that point, I leaned toward him, and I stared at him in the eye, and I said, you don't understand, Rex. I'm getting water baptized tonight, and you're going to do it. <laughs> Basically, it was at that point, Rex realized that God was moving. God was up to something. So, so Rex and Lynn went out to the swim pool, began to strip off their clothes, get down to the underwear, and they looked back, and here's the ten other guys that have been at the Bible study snatching their clothes off too. So somebody say water baptism. water baptism. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice this. When Rex began to baptize one of those people, okay, it's a little different with Dr. Lynn, but with the ten guys, and I don't have time to say everything that happened to Dr. Lynn, but it ultimately did. He, when they came up out of the water, they began to speak in a strange language. Now, here's what's so cool about this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues had never been discussed in the Bible study. They didn't even know about it. So, you know, obviously, God was doing something. It was an absolute uh, sovereign act of God. And somebody say this. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All right. So, said all that to say this. I want us to see and be confident in the fact that this biblical pattern of salvation, water baptism, spirit baptism, is attended by God to be the normal Christian experience. When you read the book of Acts, and if you look throughout church history, this was not something that was abnormal. In fact, it was very normal, okay? And the other thing I want you to see, and this is where I want to shift to today, is biblically, as we saw in that testimony, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a heavenly language that's known as tongues. Y'all still with me? Don't get scared, okay? Seriously, I mean that, all right? So once again, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a heavenly language known as tongues. So theologians refer to this heavenly language as the initial physical evidence or the manifested proof or the shown proof of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, so watch this. Some people ask a question. They say this, do I have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I want you to know that's a really good question. In fact, you know, for probably 15 years of my salvation – I was very, yep, here's what I believe. Yep, here's what I believe. And then that question started popping up all over the place. And it made me begin to wrestle with what I believed the first 15 years. So what I did is I dove in personally. I said, okay, I'm going to read books. I'm going to listen to sermons. And I'm going to have all kinds of conversations. Some of those books, some of those sermons, some of those conversations, people said, yes, you have to. The other one said, no, you don't. And here's my conclusion after Years of trying to figure this thing out It's this god is sovereign and he can do whatever he desires however There doesn't seem to be any scriptural support to back up the train of thought that people don't speak in tongues when they're baptized in the holy spirit Are y'all with me? Meaning this once again We all know God can do whatever he desires, whatever he wants to do. But at the end of the day, if we're going to be true people of the word because God doesn't contradict the word, then we have to go look at the Bible and say, okay, what does the Bible teach? And we've got to get our roots in that and not what somebody else says or what somebody else believes. So once again, on the other hand, there seems to be a clear pattern established in the book of Acts that shows a consistent connection or consistent correlation between spirit baptism and tongues. And it would appear that in every instance in the book of Acts where people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they also speak in tongues. All right, now watch this. I'm a pretty uh, common, down-to-earth kind of guy. I'm, I mean, I'm really simple. I'm, sometimes I think I'm too simple. But I just, I just think in a really practical way. And here's kind of, let me give you a train of thought. The other night I was having a conversation with someone after Wednesday night class, and I said this. Because we were talking about this question. We were talking about the evidence, the proof And I said, let's say I came to you and I said, hey, I called her by name. Here's a million dollars. I'm going to give you a million dollars. And then three weeks later, you look at your bank account, and there's not a million dollars in there. Would you doubt that I gave you a million dollars at that moment? Because certainly, if there is a million dollars, if I said I give you a million dollars, you better be able to go to your bank account. I'm gonna help you all out, okay? This is economics, all right? That, that you better be able to go to your bank account and say there's a million dollars in there, right. right? Plain and simple. Let me give you another one. If I said this, if I said, okay, uh, you know, Michael got sick, and so I came for Michael, and I and I laid hands on Michael, and I prayed for Michael, and then I I stand in front of everybody and I declare Michael's healed, and two days later he dies. Where's the evidence or the proof that Michael was really healed? So, you know, it's just in a really simple way that it's maybe like this. Let me me give you another route. When my mom got saved, I don't know, maybe five years ago now, something like that. You know, my mom was um, very far from the cross. Okay, five years ago, she gave her life to Jesus, and my parents have been divorced since I was a month old. And I was talking to my father one day, and the only time I ever remember them interacting as, as uh, kids, and I mean, literally, I mean, all the way through up being in the house, any time they talked, it was an absolute knockdown, drag out fight, and all it was is basically filled with cuss words. And just it was all anger, and they just trashed each other. Now my mom and my dad will actually go sit down and have a, an actual conversation. And my dad said this. He told me, because once again, my, you know, I live a long way from my family. And my dad said, because they interacted at different grandkid events and all that, he said, Quentin, I'm telling you, your mama got saved. He goes, she's not the same woman. That is evidence or proof that someone got saved, Okay. So, you know, in our lives, we could all take a step back and just look at the, you know, the first baptism and say, being baptized into the body of Christ, we could tell people, uh, they got it or they didn't have it. They could tell the difference between someone who just kind of said a prayer and then someone who is stuck. And so the same thing has got to go just in the natural way of just life, of cause and effect and all this. There's got to be something that's evidence or proof that someone's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now you'll see in a minute, you'll see when we start reading passages of Scripture, there are different things that stick out. But there's one common denominator that runs through all of them, and that's tongues. Let's take a step back and let's just look at the church today, okay? If we say we still operate communion... We still operate praying, worshiping. We operate, my mind's going blank here, just the, the things that the preaching, all these things that, that Jesus came, set in place, ordinations, principles, there's things that we believe and that, and that we saw in the life of the apostles. Have we ever stopped and went? We still track with 95% of those, but we don't track with that one. So, but think about that. Here's Jesus. He comes and establish all these things so here we are 2,000 years later, we're going, yep, 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 no. Why? Why would all those other ones still be in operation and that one wouldn't? That doesn't make any sense. Right? So, all right, so let me give you five passages of Scripture that I want us to see this correlation between the baptism and the Holy Spirit and tongues, okay? And we, we won't be too much longer. The first one is found is this, found in Acts 2, 1 through 4. Acts 2, 1 through 4. Remember, kind of set this up. Jesus said, hey, fellas, don't leave, don't depart from Jerusalem until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he quoted what John the Baptist said. And he said basically that John came to baptize on water, but he said, but I have come to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We know verse 8. He says power comes, and then we fast forward to verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's just basically after the Passover, right? It says they were all with one accord and one place. And what's so interesting is this 500 people entered the room, and literally in a week's time, 380 left. So there's 120 remaining in the room. I don't understand it, but I do think there's a correlation that at that moment they all got in one accord. And it's not talking about a Honda Accord, okay? It's talking about in unity. Verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided or distributed tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were, be- they were all filled. Somebody say all filled. all filled. With the Holy Spirit. By the way, Mary was there as well. Yes. Just a thought. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's go to the second one. This is Acts 10, and this is actually ten years after the day of Pentecost. So people who teach that it just happened, this real short window... It didn't happen in the short window. This is 10 years later. We know you got Cornelius, who is an unbeliever. He is praying. An angel appears to him, tells him to call for Simon, which is Peter, who's at Simon the Tanner's house. At the same time, we know that Peter has a vision. And basically, God says, don't declare anything unclean that I say is clean. And what he was talking about there wasn't food. It was Gentiles. And so basically, they show up, and they tell him about the supernatural thing. Peter ends up going to Cornelius' house. This is the fast version. Readers digest. He ends up going to the house and he ends up doing what? He ends up preaching the gospel to Cornelius and Cornelius' household. And it says this in verse forty three. It says to him, he's talking about Jesus. All the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remissions of sin. Is that how we get salvation? Yes, yes it is. So it appeared at that moment as something that belief triggered in their heart that they got born again. And then it says in verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit interrupted his lovely message and fell upon all those who heard the word. Verse 45, And those of the circumcision, or those Jews, who believed were astonished. That's the guys that were Peter. And then it says, Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Verse 46, for they heard them speak. Somebody say heard. It's evidence. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, "Can anyone forbid water?" See, he's messing up the pattern. God can do whatever he wants, right? Can anyone forbid water that these should be uh, should not be baptized once again in water who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So to maybe stop here. What was the proof to Peter that they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It was tongues. All right? So then we come down and we, and we go to the next one. This is Acts chapter 11. This is not the next one. I'm sorry. This is where Peter refers back to that account at Cornelius' house. He says this in verse 15 and 16. I said, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. When was that? Acts chapter 2. Day of Pentecost in the upper room. He says, then I remember the words of the Lord, Jesus, right? How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's go to our third one. In Acts chapter 19, this one is 25 years after the day of Pentecost. 25 years. So... Says Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. This is where the Ephesian church was birthed out of. It says, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Let's pause here for a second. Why would everybody everybody look at me please real quick? Why would Paul ask that question if you automatically received the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's just common sense. Paul wasn't confused. Greatest apostle that's ever lived. He is the one who taught and us, gave us basically our teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. So if there was anyone outside of Jesus and, or the Godhead that was qualified to ask this question, it was that boy. So clearly he asked because he's saying they're subsequent of each other. They're two different things, okay? And then it says this. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? Speaking of water baptism, okay? So they said into John's baptism. Then Paul said this, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him. Who's that? It's Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Verse 5 says when they heard this, they were baptized, what, in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands, it doesn't say how long it was after, but clearly they were in water. And some period after that, he decided to lay hands on them. And it says, And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Now watch this. When you you look at Acts chapter 2, obviously there was a wind that came in. You heard it, right? And they actually saw tongues of fire resting on people's head, and people spoke in tongues, okay? So then if you go to basically Acts 10, it was just basically they spoke in tongues. And then if you get down here in 19, it says that they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now watch this. What's the common denominator in all three? Tongues. Tongues is the common denominator in all three. That's the first three. The next two I want to give you, and this is where people have some arguments on some things. I'll shoot straight with you there, okay? Basically, it doesn't specifically say that tongues was spoken, or people that spoke in tongues. But I want you to know it's really strongly implied, and I'll just give you what I think, and we'll leave it at that, okay? So, Acts chapter 8, I read this last week, but this is five years after Pentecost. Fast version Philip's in this region, Philip preaches. Uh, people obviously see signs and wonders, they believe in the gospel, they're water baptized, and then it says that basically the church, when Peter and John realized that these guys had received the gospel, it says that they sent them that they might receive the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's pick up in in verse 18, okay? It says, and when Simon, we know that was the guy that basically said he had the power of God and all that stuff, and he ended up uh, basically believing You'll see in a minute he was a really young believer, but he was, a, he was a believer nonetheless. He saw something. It says, and when Simon saw, can you say saw? saw? That's evidence, okay? He saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So the question is, is what did Simon see? What did he see? Right? Because listen, he clearly saw something that was supernatural that impressed him enough to want to pay money for it. Are you all following follow me? Now, listen, it, it, people say, well, it could be prophecy. The bottom line, we're assuming that it's prophecy just as much as we assume that it's tongues. But if we're going to go in the correlation of what we see throughout the rest of the book and the pattern, then I would maybe suggest that it was tongues, okay? So, listen, let me ask you another question. Can you see the Spirit? No. But we can see an external manifestation of him, can't we? And so, you know, even Jesus said, he goes, look, you're talking about the spirit is as the wind, right? You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. So there's something there that he saw the effects when they laid hands on him. So I think it's reasonable to conclude that Simon saw people speaking in tongues. Now, let me give you another one. In Acts chapter 9, and this one's much easier to grab a hold of. Acts 9, and this is three days after the guy we know as Paul, who was Saul, had his Damascus Road experience. We know that basically the light shone, and what happened, it blinded him, right? Yes? Right? Okay. So we come here to verse 11. It says this. So the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, he said, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision, I love that, how God just supernatural moves in all this, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, in other words, but he saw you coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Verse 17 says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. And the next verse in verse 18, Saul, who knows Paul, is water baptized. All right, so watch this. Some people say, see, he didn't speak in tongues there. That's true. But let's back up, take a broader look at the Bible, okay? And let's ask ourselves something. Did he receive his sight there? Did he receive his sight? So Ananias, we would assume, he said, basically, Jesus told me to come and lay hands on you that you may receive your sight and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So why would God do one and not do the other? Right? I'm a simple guy. But why, why would scales fall off his eyes and then the other one not happen? And then let's take, once again, even a broader look and to think, did Paul not lead the 12 men that we read a while ago in Acts 19? Did he not lead those men into the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Yes, he did. All right? Paul also talked extensively on the use of private and public tongues. We'll talk about that later because that's where a lot of people get confused trying to get the two. And they try to get funky rules that don't really match. Alright. Anyways, but but he's the one that taught extensively on tongues in First Corinthians. And he's also quoted in 1 Corinthians fourteen, eighteen as saying this, I pray in tongues more than you all. Okay, I know that's a lot, but watch this. So here's the guy, a broader view, led these people in Ephesus. He's the one that taught once again this unbelievable scriptures of the gifts of the Spirit in private and public. And then here we go fast forward again. He says, I pray in tongues more than all you. So my question is, is when did that happen? Because it obviously happens sometime and somewhere. All right, so here we go. Here's, my, here's what I'm simply suggesting will be done. Today is just simply laying foundation again. Is that those five passages not only clear up any confusion about if the baptism in the Holy Spirit is subsequent, okay, or means comes after salvation or not. We got that. Obviously it comes after, but also supports that tongues is indeed the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the manifested proof. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. So let me give you one other thing, okay, because I I said a question earlier, and I forgot to say something. One of the things that's caused me to be hesitant, to lean into that teaching of you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues, the thing that's got me that sounds kind of funny, but every person I've ever heard write a book on that, teach that, I've had a conversation with that says they believe that, as somewhere in their life they spoke in tongues personally. Am I making sense? Yeah. This happened the other day when I was studying this because, you know, I and mean, I have been like reading more than I think I've ever read in my whole life in the past few weeks just because I want to be accurate what I'm telling you guys, and I just don't want to give you something that I've heard along the way. Thank you. Okay? So I went and I actually watched this YouTube video of this very well-known minister that I respect highly. The guy's got an amazing ministry. I mean, amazing. I mean, I have nothing negative to say about this guy. I'm not going to say <laughs> And he was teaching, and he began to, you know, obviously he said that's his stance. He believes that you don't have to. And he asked this. He, he asked people, look, if you want to receive this amazing gift today, please stand for your feet and let's pray for you. I mean, God's got a humongous church. Thousands of people stood up, and this was one of their, whatever, five services or whatever they got. And he led them into a simple prayer, basically out of Luke 11, and which a lot of people use. And then he celebrated, yay, All of you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Sit down. I watched the next one for the next week, and he said, you know, I'm happy to report to you last weekend 6,000 people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. At face value, looks awesome. Where's the evidence? Right? Because what I wonder is how many of those 6,000 people walked out of the room and said, yeah, I know God did it. Listen around this room. Here's what's so, here's what's so unique and yet so challenging about our church. It's okay if I'm not honest. Is half the room is so tracking with me, okay? And the other half, you're coming, right? <laughs> right? Not Anyways, so but here's what's so cool is the people that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, they can tell you very quickly how their life changed. When that happened, right? In other words, they can tell you without a doubt, man, there was evidence and there was proof, man, that my life shifted at that moment. In other words, my relationship with God dramatically changed. But here's what's so funny about this, guys. And once again, I'm a simple fellow, all right? Yesterday, I texted two of my brothers. And uh, I got four, two of them that are, one we got the same parents. I was half-brother. I don't really talk to my two step brothers a whole lot don't have anything against them, but I have a better relationship with the other two. And I said, hey, guys, I started teaching this last week, okay? And now both of them go to churches who do not believe in this doctrine, okay? And I just said, hey, here's kind of what I said. I just showed them the three baptisms and then said, hey, can you, um, you know, maybe what are some questions you would have? Right? Because once again, I want, I want to be able to come from a right approach in helping you guys. So what's your guys' questions? And my brother Matthew gave an excellent question. And, and I tried to answer, and I answered it, I thought, pretty good. It was all Bible. Didn't hear another word from him. I was like, come on, dude. Give me something, right? And my, my brother Brandon kind of said something. And uh, he said, yeah, I was talking that about his daughter the other day, but not in that way. Meaning he was talking about water baptism and not spirit baptism, and then I said, "Oh well, maybe this will help." And I sent him some information on <laughs> water baptism. Nothing, and <laughs> he would say, "Thanks." Saying, so, yeah, "Wow." But here's my thought that I walked away from that. My brother Brandon, sharp guy, really really sharp guy. He was a drafter, and then uh, he ended up becoming a fireman, and I was a fire marshal. And I just thought, how stupid would it be of me to go to him and talk to him and tell him? Man, here's how you fight a fire. I mean, my brothers told me, he said, Quentin, we, we, you know, we had to knock down a door and we had to go in this house and all four of us, I grabbed a, a leg and that guy grabbed an arm and that guy grabbed an arm and that guy grabbed an arm. He said, Quentin, when I grabbed that guy's leg and I pulled his skin, just... <clears> so I think, I've never been there. I've never done that. Right? i got tons of buddies that are uh, military guys and they're really, really good at what they do. And, uh, you know, they've been in, in, you know, countless firefights with the enemy. I would never, never, never in a thousand years go tell one of those guys, here's how you here's how you maneuver in a firefight. I'd be an idiot, right? Never been in one. I got in a, I got in a uh, BB gun war with my brother in the backyard one time. I shot him three times. He shot me once. I won, right? He got me in the bottom of the foot. <laughs> and that was an older brother, too, so that was good, right? It's all about positioning. Yeah, it was awesome. Anyways, so, but, I, but I would never be that dumb. And here's what's so funny is a majority of the church, not majority, a portion of the church is listening to pastors and people talk about a gift that they've never experienced. And they're taking what they say as gospel truth when they've never even encountered it. If it doesn't make sense here that I would stand in front of you guys, here's how we're going to do a firefight. Here's how we're going to fight a fire. Firefight basis shooting a gun, right? If I would say, here's how we're going to do that, and you all look at me like I was crazy, then why do we do that in the theological realm? That we're, going to, that we're going to listen to people that absolutely, I don't care how many degrees they got attached to their name, they don't know what in the world they're talking about because they've never encountered God in that way. So let me show you this last thing, and, and we'll be done. I've been talking too long. Concerning tongues, I want to show you something just once again from a theological standpoint. All right, watch this. Start at the top, number one. Talking about tongues. This was the evidence which the apostles themselves received in their own experience. That's true, right? Acts chapter 2. That's is truth. And with Paul. Verse 2, or second one, sorry. This was the evidence which the apostles accepted in the experience of others. We saw that with Peter at Cornelius' house. Third one. The apostles never asked for any other alternative evidence. It's not in there. Okay? Fourth one. No other alternative evidence is offered to us anywhere in the New Testament. And that's the thing where my struggle with all my really good – because I have really good friends that believe different than me on this. I can't – they never give me any Bible to back up their other side. Never given it. They just give me their opinions. And I'm a Bible guy. They're Bible people too, but for some reason they don't offer that. Y'all okay? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for – just every person that's here today God I recognize that whatever our background is um, Lord this can be really an an encouraging sermon or it could be a really challenging one And uh, Lord I so have tons and tons and tons of grace for that uh, because Lord I remember being in that spot too so Lord I'm just asking God that just over the next few weeks and even today before we leave here God that there would be just such a spirit of unity God that is among us and Lord that from a spirit of unity God we would just be open uh Lord to whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do in our midst and Lord you know I encouraged them earlier and so Lord we'll just do it now God if this if this teaching is of you and it is correct doctrine if it's if it's correct Bible teaching Lord, we just ask God that you would show us that it's truth you know we prayed at the beginning Holy Spirit you're the you're the spirit of truth you leading guys in all truth and so if this, if this is of you, then show us. And, Lord, whatever you got to bypass to reveal it to us, Lord, we ask that you would do it. And, Lord, if, if we come to the conclusion that it is of you, Father, would you give us the courage, you know, not to have a pity party, not to beat ourselves up, not to be, feel like we've missed out on, on all kinds of stuff. But, Lord, just have the courage to go, God, I want it. I want it. And, Lord, we just pray, God, that even over the next, uh, you know, week until we come back, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts, God, what's real. God, from my angle, Lord, I'm just teaching what you give me. It's up to you to reveal it. And so I'm just asking you to do your part. And, uh, Lord, I know that you will because you never leave us hanging. So, Father, thank you today for your people. I bless them today in Jesus' name. Thanks for drawing us deeper into you, God, into greater relationships with you. In Jesus' name, amen.